Welcome to A Higher Future in Healthcare, a special series exploring a growing crisis in healthcare, hiring quality talent to deliver quality care. I'm Ubaldo Siminetti, your host, and I sit down with some of the industry's top voices in hiring and recruiting to dissect one of healthcare's biggest obstacles in the hopes of learning from each other and sharing that information to help us improve how and who we hire so that we can take better care of the communities and the people we serve. I'm here with Carrie Goral. Welcome. Thank, Thank you for you. joining us. I appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. So tell me, tell us a little bit about you and the organization, and then we'll kind of dive into some questions just about recruiting in general in healthcare. So my role uh, with the Association for Advancing Physician and Provider Recruitment is I'm their Chief Executive Officer. I have been here with the organization for just over seven years, and our association empowers industry experts in the field of physician and provider recruitment, onboarding, and retention uh, at healthcare organizations. And how did you, because we had a little bit of a conversation before we started recording about you in general, like how you got into all of these associations. Can you talk a little bit about your background? Because I think it's just fascinating. Uh, and, and it speaks to a point that I want to bring up later. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so my background, uh, originally I went for a degree, I got my master's in social work. I had a lot of mentors who were in the violence against women movement. I wanted to be like them. And so I did a lot of work in the domestic violence and sexual assault work. Eventually, quickly after college, I landed a job at a state coalition. Okay. And that state coalition was focused on improving healthcare response to victim, victims of violence mm -hmm. within healthcare. And those usually that usually falls on the role of a forensic nurse. But most communities about 15 years ago didn't have a forensic nurse, mm -hmm. or they had one for an entire county of people, and nobody really knew about it. So my job was to bring the state and, and enhance the state's capacity within individual healthcare organizations to have someone who was trained and qualified to provide that level of care. Mm -hmm. Well, that got me noticed by another association, the International Association of Forensic Nurses, and I was hired on as their first staff person. Interesting, yeah. Quickly became uh, the executive director, the CEO. Yeah. I worked there for 10 years, and we, you know, our mission was to help healthcare address and be a part of addressing victims of violence. Mm -hmm. Well, then 10 years later, of course, I got recruited, recruited by this association, <laughs> right. um, and uh, and I've been here ever since. So, would you say um, you've been in healthcare without actually? I've never being worked part in, of healthcare, actually right? in healthcare. Yes, isn't that interesting? What What are your thoughts on being an outsider in, in this particular industry? Like oh. you're coming from a different, completely different background, almost. I um one one time I heard an author he wrote uh, the necessity of strangers, and that oh. really always resonated with me about the importance of seeking an outside, different perspective. Yeah. And I will I will tell you, being in association management, working for associations, there is um, sometimes a tension that mm -hmm. exists in associations if they're a chief leader, chief staff leader isn't from the profession. Sometimes members can feel like, oh, well, this, this leader doesn't know our work and what we do. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I probably have to prove myself a little bit harder sure. than someone who um, is not from the field. But what I, what I also bring 
is a background in business management, in people, resource mobilization, yeah. uh, and I will say my background in social work. Um, what I bring is uh, an intense level of empathy, kindness, mm -hmm. listening, understanding that crosses against uh, crosses all professions. Right. And if we can humanize any profession, uh, sign me up for that. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I think it it's a great segue into the conversation about recruitment and hiring in healthcare right now, because we're we're kind of almost sort of at a crossroads in. We'll talk a little bit about your perspective on that. Like, what's going on with hiring in healthcare right now? Oh, well, um, it's a hot topic, if yeah. you haven't heard. <laughs> yeah, right. It's a hot topic everywhere. <laughs> um, and certainly within, you know, whether it is um, the shortages of nurses. Mm -hmm. um, we've had a shortage of physicians for a long time. Yeah. Uh, and the, you know, events of the last couple of years have only heightened and exacerbated. And we were already headed towards more retirements mm -hmm. uh, from our physicians and providers. And we were already were noticing um, just our, our aging workforce, not to mention our aging patient population. Uh, we've all been watching this nexus coming at us. And we're not there yet. Right. And I will say every day, every year, the this industry just continues to adjust it's um it's a slow boil right what we're experiencing right now what what, what do you see as the future of hiring in healthcare? Kind of a big question we but... have to break most of the rules yeah right we're really going to have to break most of the rules um and we're already starting to do that okay. a little bit uh, covid honestly was one of was a was a there, you know, there's are silver linings in any catastrophe. There are certainly silver linings that happened from there, where it pushed healthcare to change its processes. Prior to that, um, here's a, a small example: paper signatures mm -hmm. were required on paper documents in 2019. Even though DocuSign or all the similars have been around, uh, recruiters spent time walking mm -hmm. paper across a campus. And that was quickly addressed <laughs> yes. when you weren't allowed to walk across campus anymore and nobody right. wanted to be in close contact with anybody. Right. Um, so it, it, it forced small but powerful innovations. Being able to do interviews, being prior to quarantine, mm -hmm. physician recruiters and organizations spent a lot of money at every level to fly physicians to do in-person interviews because there's this yeah. there's just this you know old belief yeah. that you had to see someone in person at every point of the conversation right right um and so the ability to do virtual interviews i mean there's, these are just things that had had to change right exactly yeah and and i, I think what what's fascinating is, is we adjusted like we did you said um but now, do you see a little bit of reverting backwards at all? Because Always. is it, I mean, is it kind of like, like a rubber band almost? It is, it is a rubber band. Uh, oh, yeah, you see it in how we uh, dictate where people work. Right. That, that we think right. work is the place yeah. and not the activity. Um, and we are, you know, focused on on the culture of what that means and the communication and um, you definitely see some rubber banding that happens back there. Yeah. 
2022 was also a difficult year economically. Sure. And certainly for healthcare. I mean, healthcare operates on razor thin margins on a good year. Yeah. Um, you know, I know there's been, you know, policy changes at the, at the legislative level that also have had their impact on just Profitability is not a bad word in healthcare because profitability right. means reinvestment back into mm -hmm. care. Mm -hmm. And it is people who are delivering care. It's not, a, the tech is the tool, but it's the people who deliver it. Yeah. And I don't, I want to be careful that, you know, the conversation lately has really villainized providers for wanting more compensation. And yes, it puts on stress on an organization, like I said, after we had a not great economic year last year. And forecast this year is still a little dicey. Yeah. Um, but I don't, I don't want to villainize people for being paid and valued because the work that they're doing, mm -hmm. it saves lives. Right. Well, and, and there should be a balance. There should. Right? Like, and I think, I think the solution potentially lies in how we're hiring it, it, because we want to pay people fairly mm -hmm. and we want to pay people for this um, this incredible thing that they're giving to the community this care mm -hmm. um it, it but we also want to make sure that that quality of care is, is always high yes and, and so how do we how do we bridge that gap because it, so to your point i mean like travel nurses right i mean the costs were exorbitant over yes. the last two years, yes. causing still a are lot of the problems still high, right? So mm -hmm. how do you, how do you how do you bridge the gap? How do you sort of maintain that, but also align these people with the culture of an organization and the mission and the passion? Because a lot of times these people are coming in and then they're gone, mm -hmm. and so there's no connection there. They just come in, they do a service, and then they leave. It really has to be inner driven a lot of times yeah. on providers to to seek alignment to yeah. seek to understand uh to remain centered i think that's a lot to ask yeah. uh providers especially when um they're being willing to move around the country mm -hmm. and step into places that need uh extra temporary assistance it's yeah for me like it, it's because I, to your point right people want to be paid well like it's and and it's a hard job. Right? We talk about burnout, mental health, and, and so there. But there's got to be a balance. Even in, we could, there's no reason we couldn't still hire temp workers, mm -hmm. but have them be a part of our organization. And so, how do we bridge that gap? How do we not have to rely so much on uh, outside systems, travel nurse, whatever, whatever those things are that cost that much money? How do we build our own version of that? I, I know there's been some hospital systems that are trying to do that. They're they're trying. They're yes. trying. It, it, like, what's your perspective on, on that? How do we how do we bridge that gap and still honor, the hard work that they're doing, and pay them what they deserve to be paid, but we know that every time they're coming in, they're a part of our organization, and then their behaviors and their their mindset align, with our organization. That's a tough question. I, <laughs> I don't know how to yeah. align that one. I yeah. think, I think because the solution is ten hundred steps before that question, um, okay. looking at why are people willing 
to leave an organization yeah. just to come back to it in a temporary capacity. Right. What is that about? Mm -hmm. um, and how can we address that issue? And again, I, we talk in a lot of professions about workplace culture. And mm -hmm. uh, you know, earlier today, uh, we were listening to a speaker about just bringing happiness into our work. Yeah. And I don't know that I see so often healthcare, the culture of healthcare, talking about happiness in its workers. It's so sometimes so patient focused yeah. that um, I think it can lose sight of of the, the happiness of their own people. I mean, providers are working with patients who are oftentimes at their worst, at their sickest, at their emotionally most most vulnerable, yeah. who might not demonstrate great listening skills or communication skills or have any empathy themselves. Mm -hmm. And we ask providers to be these superheroes mm -hmm. uh, at all times. Yeah. Um, but superheroes also need a lot of care as well. And so going like, how do we align that mission and purpose? I think it starts way back there. Yeah, oh, that's a great point. Well, and, and it, it, it's sort of, there's just this expectation like, you have to deliver care. You're here. Right. It's your nurse, job. It's your job. You're a doctor. Deliver care. Right. And we forget you to your we point. We pay you a lot of money. Right. We want you to be happy. Go do Shouldn't it. you be happy? <laughs> right. And it's, yeah. it, but it just seems to me it's so, it's, it's, we miss the fact that if they were happier, that care might be better. Yes. And I think that's why, that's why it's great to see at, at this conference discussions about that, about bringing happiness and and, and how we we're our industry as professional in-house recruiters we're we're a small in the whole scheme of things sure we're we hope to influence that we hope yeah. to guide our physician leader counterparts who are making those decisions about ultimately who to hire right. we're trying to guide them we're, we're trying to have really great sourcing and screening processes um, that really look mm -hmm. for the fit of the particular practice or the group that we're hiring yeah, for. Huge. And we also have to speak truth when there might be a group that is toxic, mm -hmm. might have a negative bad player, and nobody wants to, it's the big elephant in the room. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes it's the recruitment professional who has to say, look, I can't keep recruiting another person to fill this position because you are driving people out. Yeah. And it becomes a, a culture issue. It's not a recruitment issue. Mm -hmm. Retention is not a recruitment issue. It's a culture issue. 100%. And we have to, we're going to be taking our part and our role to um, mitigate those issues. But um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a big job. How does AAPPR elevate the voices of recruiters? Because you know, I've talked to others who oftentimes they get a sense that recruiters are just order takers, right? That's mm -hmm. sort of the general stereotype. Yeah. How, so how do we elevate the voices? Like, what are you all doing to help elevate those voices to, to be able to have a recruiter be able to say, look, I'm not bringing you anybody else because yes. you're driving them away. Like, we got to fix this first. I, when, when I saw AAPPR's mission, when I, before I even started, and it had the word empower in it, yeah. I, pretty much I was like, I was sold. Yeah. Empowering people is incredibly difficult, and I do not purport that um, I have any actual control over empowering somebody. <laughs> right. uh, but it, we want to give them 
tools, knowledge. We want to be their community of cheerleaders. And that's what I love about this organization is that we are, I mean, we are the fiercest competitors. Everyone in this conference, in this room is competing for at some point for the same person. Sure. And at the end of the day, you get a high five, whoever gets that person, because we all know that it's beyond, it's bigger than us. Mm. And it goes to, well, okay, this community is going to be served and that is awesome. And we'll just keep looking. So like we are the biggest champions and cheerleaders for us. The other thing that AAPPR does is a lot of research. We okay. publish uh, the annual benchmarking uh, report. And so it looks at all of the physician and provider searches that happen in a calendar year. Mm. Last year, Bureau of Labor Statistics, they estimate that there were just over 23,000 physician searches. Okay. And in our data set, which our members contribute to, we, they shared 12, over 12,000 physician searches with us. So our benchmarking report is the only one of its kind. And what we look at are the different specialties, mm -hmm. the time to fill, and we, we try to examine what are the factors that are impacting time to fill. Time to fill is the point of when the position opens, mm -hmm. when the physician or provider signs the contract. We also do research to find out, well, how long does it take for that provider to start work? Right. Minimum another four months. Is <laughs> um, it really? It is. it is. Sometimes that is at the physician's request because they're giving proper notice. They don't want sure. to abandon a patient sure. population. So they're giving notice. There's credentialing, licensing, all of those. Right. We're working with states. Um, so th there's, there's factors. So if the, if the average, average, I'm going to, such a generalization because totally. it is completely different in regions and specialty. I'm just going to generally say, four months to recruit a physician. And that is, that is, that is aggressive. Right. Uh, that's yeah. like, that's great if you found someone in yeah. four, in four months. Wow. And they're not starting for another eight. I'm oh, sorry, another, another four, four months. Another four, so yeah, you so almost you eight eight months, right. Think, And so oh. you're using temporary physicians yes. during that time right. uh, if you really need to provide that care, if your current providers can't supplement. Right. Um, and so we provide, provide all of that data because mm. one of the big things we see of what impacts that time to fill, yeah. which bottom line, that's money lost when you don't have a provider, yep. uh, it's administrative responsiveness, administration's mm -hmm. responsiveness. Yep. The recruiter doesn't make the decision who to hire. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the executive, exactly the position right. leaders. Yeah. Um, and, and in organizations where healthcare administration gets it, those are power organizations, and those organizations are recruiting within four months yeah. or less, and yeah. their providers um, are staying uh, because mm -hmm. they understand that recruiters need to be a part of the strategy. They need to be a part of workforce planning. Yeah. Don't tell the recruiter, I've got someone who's going to be retiring in a month. Right. And expect like, to get someone, or we're going to yeah. open up this new clinic, and I need seven anesthesiologists. <laughs> oh my right? goodness! You know, yeah. Uh, and yet, administration does That's that. So um, the more that yeah. our members are involved in the planning and the forecasting, yeah. we're looking at retirements. There's so much data that we have that uh, oftentimes um, we're not. We just need to be invited, and Absolutely. we're trying to empower our members to ask to be invited well, to put point. their voice in the room. Absolutely. Well, Carrie, this has been awesome.
thank you for the insight. I mean, we could talk about this for hours, I'm I sure. I think so. so. It'd be fun. Yeah. Let's, well, yeah, let's do it. We'll do another one of these. Okay. We'll, we'll do many more of these. But thank you. We'll, we'll share information about the organization because, um, again, and just what we've seen in just the last 24 hours, like the, the people are here because they want to be here and they're looking for that voice or they're looking for that reason yes. to be the voice in their organization. And that's huge. That, yeah. That's a great first step. So thank you for that. Any last words of wisdom? I will say, well, if anybody <laughs> wants to be an in-house position recruiter, we are, I know healthcare is always requiring, yes. or is always looking. Uh, it was something, I, we were sort of talking about this yesterday. It was um, people often fall into physician recruitment mm -hmm. accidentally. It's mm -hmm. not something you get a degree in. Right. Um, but they make it a career by choice. So I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. A Higher Future in Healthcare is a production of IIA Healthcare, a technology organization powered by the Interview IA interview platform designed to help healthcare organizations hire better. Learn more at www.iiahealthcare.com and in collaboration with AAPPR, the Association for Advancing Physician and Provider Recruitment, the leading authority on physician and provider recruitment and retention. Learn more at www.aappr.org.